now that the NBA season is over, well, at least the regular season is over, it is time to hand out awards. And in this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, Leaf Tulane is going to give his first and second team all rookies. But his rookie awards may be a little bit different, or his team may be a little bit different than the consensus. So find out why Leaf may have some hot takes. Maybe they're scalding, maybe they're warm, but Leaf has some hot takes for you. So find out what is what. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I'm Rafael Barlow, your host, the director scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies and the new director scouting for the NTX Combine. And my co-host for today is Leaf Tulane. I don't know what Leaf was doing about... 30 minutes ago, but I was watching the Warriors Kings game. I, I can't lie. I was half sleep and my wife woke me up when Draymond stomped on Sabonis's chest. And now I'm getting alert that Sabonis is getting x-rays and to whoa. see if he fractured a rib uh, and, uh, and is questionable for game two right now. Now on one hand, it could be legit, right? Yeah. But if it's not, if I'm the Kings, I'm definitely milking that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he couldn't. He had trouble breathing today. He's doubtful for game three. I am milking that as far as I can go. And I, I mean, he could actually be hurt. I mean, Draymond's not like he's 120 pounds. I mean, he is a a, a pretty big dude. <laughs> he did put some a little bit of force behind it. But then it was like I watched the replay the way he jumped off like like after the stomp the way he is almost like he just pressed down and jumped off of him i don't know it's going to be interesting and if draymond gets suspended and the warriors lose game three then i mean if you're an anti-draymond guy this is you know you're gonna have a lot to say so anyway what was your thoughts on the game outside of the, was- the stomp it was fun. I I mean, they play fast. Obviously, that's the appeal for people who are who are tuning in casuals and people who really love basketball alike. And and I think the fact that they play fast and dynamic basketball is really fun. The Kings are particularly fun because they have this turbocharged point guard in De'Aaron Fox, and they got this slow, almost traditional big man in Sabonis. And the Warriors are the Splash Brothers and the the dynasty that's seems to be on its last legs and it's it's an interesting clash for a desperate fan base in the Kings who are 16 years deprived for making the playoffs now up 2-0 in a series. So all of the storylines played into it and then and they these games have lived up to it. I think these have been the best two games of the the playoffs so far. You can make an argument for uh the Clippers and Suns, but uh, I think this these two have been the best two games and they've been in the same series. Yeah, I didn't even think about it from the perspective you have one fan base that has been spoiled and another fan base that has not even won a playoff game until what it was like 16 years until yeah, a few days years. ago. So the Warriors have more championships than the Kings have playoff wins in the last 16 years. So that that's a storyline that I never really 
thought of, even though it is kind of obvious. And let's transition to rookies. The Kings have a rookie who is Keegan Murray, who only played 16 minutes tonight and only had two points. Do you think that he is going to see his minutes limited the rest of this this series? I do, and I don't think it's necessarily a fault of his own. I just think it's more uh, matching style for style. I think Malik Monk is the best answer for Clay Thompson. I think he's got the speed to run off these type of screens, and he's got the scoring punch individually that can punish um, some of the Warriors defenders when when they sag in, uh, sag into the paint, defending both Sabonis and Fox in different ways, but they both really put pressure on the rim. I think Malik Monk even is going to get more minutes than Kevin Herter, who's had a breakout year. And then the real reason Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter are kind of being hurt in the minutes-wise in this is because Davion Mitchell, nicknamed Off Night, is hoping mm-hmm. to provide off nights for Steph Curry. And that's just a unique matchup that calls for a stylistic change for the Kings that takes away from Keegan Murray, which I think people listening to this since we're a draft centric podcast, this is not because he's not deserving of those minutes. It's just a stylistic choice that I think is the proper one by coach Mike Brown. I'm old enough to remember when the Kings drew a lot of criticism for selecting Davion Mitchell in the top 10 and then trading Halliburton for Sabonis. I'm old enough to remember that. All right, let's talk about this year's rookie class. Let's go with the second team first. Alrighty. All right. So I'm I'm looking forward to hearing some of these takes that you that you're ready to fire off. All right. So who is the first person on your second team all rookie? So this is where it starts being different from what I think will be the consensus. I believe this player will be a first team all rookie by consensus, but I don't think he's quite there. He'd be the sixth pick if there were six in the first team and that's benedict matherin i think benedict matherin had a good rookie year and he scored a lot early but i don't think he really finished the season as strongly as he started and i think a lot of that trajectory that he built up um wasn't sustained and so people remember oh my gosh this matherin kid for the pacers comes off the bench and scores 20 um what a star he's gonna be i don't think he really built from there and the Pacers weren't a particularly good team, and you'll see an emphasis on winning, except for one player in the uh, that really is mincing hairs, and I'll keep that up a little secret until we get to the first one. But Matherin, to me, uh, scored well. I'll, I'll read you his stats real quick. Scored 16.7 points per game, 4.1 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 43% from the field, and 32% from three. I think that you can make a case for him to be the two-guard uh on this first team but there's a there's a guard and the first team that i believe will be second team that i think had a really strong close to the season and that meant more to me because that's when the reins were handed to him as opposed to playing off ball and he really thrived in it and so i'll 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 make that illusion once we get to first team yeah matherin had a good year though first rookie off the bench to score a thousand points since ben gordon i think 2004 2005 yeah but what a lot of people just don't realize is that there's another rookie on this team that started the majority of the games for, for the Pacers that was not even supposed to start, and that is Andrew Nimhart. All right, so did Nimhart make your all-rookie team? Uh, he, he did. He is the 10th player 
on my on my 10 that I listed out. Okay. Um, so, so let's talk about Nimhard. Yeah, so Andrew Nemhard is a guy who's a pick and roll extraordinaire in college who who thrived in an up tempo situation with Gonzaga and was very good at Florida, quite frankly, before that. Uh, so he goes to the Pacers and they have a point guard that's an all-star in Tyrese Halliburton. And they got a guy in Matherin who's their future scorer. They've got Duarte. Yet this guy, a kind of a veteran, savvy presence, really sticks out as a six-man initially and then takes over some of the starting duties playing alongside Halliburton and will free him up to score a little more. And I think you just see his savvy, his feel uh, for the game and, and just playmaking chops really come to life under Rick Carlisle's offense. And there have been many guards that you don't think of as score-first guards that have thrived under Carlisle. And I think this was some uh, a, really a match made in heaven that uh, I didn't see coming this soon, but I, I did like that situation. I remember you started talking about how Nemhard was gaining traction last year in the draft. And um, I don't know exactly how this makes me look in the long term, but I had him number 31 on my big board and he was picked 31st. So I felt smart at the moment, but he, if he's number 10 in this class, he's well outperforming where I had him. Yeah. he They definitely got lottery level production and he was the guy that you can say that he was the person that Carlisle trusted the most to defend the other team's best guard, especially when, when Halliburton was was hurt, but yeah, Andrew Nimhart definitely, I mean, he outplayed his draft position. You know, I'm from Omaha. I've mentioned before, so I like Creighton. So I'm still a little bitter about his brother <laughs> leaving. And uh, you mentioned Arizona, and I haven't heard, but I have heard that him and Kaluma are going to Arizona. A little off off subject. I, I, I told I told you I had an inkling. It it makes a lot of sense, and then Kaluma went to to high school there, and you know the Omaha rumors are saying that they both got like million dollar NIL deals, something like that. So that's anyway. All right, who is the third person on your second team all rookie? Uh, I've got Jeremy Suhan. I I think he is a guy that does more than the stat sheet indicates, but his raw stats are eleven points, five point three rebounds, two point five assists, forty five percent from the field, and twenty four percent from the free throw line. From the three-point line, excuse me, and th- that's those are not eye-popping numbers. But you watch him play; he's, he's a wizard defensively. He's really someone that has a large impact on the flow of offense on a really poor team. But he he made significant strides throughout the season, and I think established himself as a core piece for the Spurs. And I I think that in a redraft, he'd go at where he was taken at nine or higher. And I think that's really important when you evaluate. So when you're saying that this is the, you know, the, the top 10 rookies, I don't think this is necessarily the order I draft them again, but this is just the value of how impressive they were as a rookie. And it's interesting to me that he's a guy who would be eighth or ninth on my list in terms of rookie performance. And I'd still draft him in that same spot. So I think it's pretty indicative of a strong career to come and a strong rookie season. Yeah. And it's crazy that maybe 15 months ago, a lot of people thought Kendall Brown was the better Baylor prospect of the two. And totally different situations over the last 12 months. All right, when we return, I want to talk a little bit more about Sohan, but let's talk about buying tickets to your favorite event and how it should not be stressful. And that is if you go to game time, it is the fastest and the easiest way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and the best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun 
you will have. Game Time has flash deals on last minute tickets, and they are easy to find. And you can buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. You get images of the seat views and a low price guarantee, even cancellation protection, job loss protection, etc. So forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. You can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the Game Time Guarantee means you always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of difference. Like I mentioned earlier, you will get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you are set. And the tickets are sent directly to your phone so you do not have to dig through your email. I hate going through my email looking for the ticket. So download the GameTime app, create an account, use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you for making Locked On NBA Big Boy your first listen of the day. So if you are an everydayer, tomorrow on the show, we will redo the 2022 NBA draft. It will be me and Leaf, and we will rank the players according to how we feel and in a redraft. So those are always fun, and there's going to be some heated debates, not between us because we get along, but on our on our YouTube feed because people always seem to agree and strongly disagree with some of our takes. All right, we left off at Jeremy Sohan, and he had a good year. He averaged double figures. Now, he did play on a team that is in the Wimbayama sweepstakes. What do you think is his goal for the summer? Like, what area of his game do you think that he needs to work on? That's an interesting question. I think the obvious answer that most would go to is shooting. But I almost wonder if he can be kind of the, the pseudo center defensively work on, uh, sorry, not defensively, offensively, offensively play the uh, the middle and pass out like a la so some Boris Diaw for, for those who have watched a lot of basketball in their life. Uh, Boris Diaw wasn't always the kind of the journeyman you saw with the Spurs. Um, I would say he could be like Suns Boris Dia, where he was getting into the paint and passing, and when Benyama could space uh, and be the kind of stretch four. And so I would say kind of orchestrating the offense from the interior, and then I think it doesn't hurt to sh- work on shooting. But I, 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 it's what I'd kind of go with offensively because defensively he's a full package. And once you have Wen Benyama there, if they do have Wen Benyama, okay, uh, I, really I was, like I was about to ask you front court. Do you, do you have some insight that we don't know about? Because you just kind of casually mentioned Wimbayama in the lineup, like like you know, you you and uh, Adam Silver have some plans there to send them down to the Alamo City. I'm not saying anything. I, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I I I agree, and it's something that I hadn't thought of. I mean, obviously, I was going to say I think he needs to work on the shooting. And, uh, you know, the free throw situation is pretty interesting. But I, I like Sohan. I like him a lot. All right, who is the fourth player on your second team All-NBA? Uh, Jalen Duran. I I remain very, very high on Jalen Duran, and I think that he would have benefited greatly from playing more with Cade Cunningham, who I think is a tremendous facilitator. 
and yet he's still averaged nine and nine. He's he's a vacuum defensively and rebounding the ball. And he was the youngest player in this past draft and someone that I think has tremendous upside and a very high floor. And that's pretty rare to have that strong a definitive role at 19 years old, but that's how I feel about Duran. And I think he's a guy that for tomorrow's episode, I think will be higher than some some people believe. Uh, we're, we're based off this ranking, would believe, I should say. And he's mature beyond his years, except when he forgot his passport. I know that was <laughs> pretty embarrassing. Question. So if Detroit wins the lottery and they win Wimbayama, what is their lineup with, with all their bigs? Like, what, what do you do with Bagley, Wiseman, Beef Stew, Duran, Wimbayama? Like, what do you do with that group? I think Duran and Juan Benyama are your starters. I, yep. I think you give up one of those other three. Now, who do you keep? Like, who is the, out of those three, who is the guy that you would keep? Probably Beef Stew. Isaiah Stewart. I, I think he fits what they're trying to do. I think if he could play spot minutes with starters, you could play with some backups if they alternate their guards, Ivy and, and Cunningham. And then I think you are kind of splitting hairs between Wiseman and Bagley. I'd imagine they'd keep Wiseman because I think he's less far into his career and you could you could believe that you can fix him and he's got more defensive upside than Bagley, who's a better offensive player at this moment. Um, but I would probably, if I'm keeping four of the five, it's guaranteed, obviously, when Benyama, should he be in Detroit, um, you keep Duran, and then I would go with Isaiah Stewart, and James Wiseman and Marvin Bagley, I think is a very talented offensive player, but defensively has never been his strong suit, even at Duke. Uh, while he was a tremendous athlete, just never put together those traits and off and in the NBA's offense hasn't translated to be big enough X factor for him to be a real, real contributor on any solid teams. And uh, I, I think he'd probably be the journeyman of this group. Yeah. And he's the one that has, has been paid already. So, on your second team, you have the two Pacers, Andrew Nimhart, Benedict Matherin. You have Jeremy Sohan, Jalen Duran. Who is the last person on your second team all-rookie? I'm going to go with the Rocket, but the the one that was picked lower. I'm going with Tari Eason. And uh, he's a guy that I really liked. And as soon as I watched their first summer league game, I was like, man, I'm glad I really was high on him entering the year. And you, I mean, it's like we're always rooting for everyone, but you kind of root for the guys you – you go on a limb and put them higher. And that's at least that's how I feel. And so I was really gratified to see Tari Easton have an impactful role right away. And for a dysfunctional team, that which is what the Rockets were, quite frankly, he was one of the main glaring bright spots for me. I, I think every game you, you saw passion and energy, you saw him play with mistakes, but play through those mistakes. And the bright spots outweighed the negative ones for him. And I, I think he's a guy that contributed more to winning basketball this year than did Jabari Smith. However, if I'm doing a redraft, which you'll see tomorrow, I think I'll take Jabari Smith Jr. higher than I would Tari Eason. I'm a big, big Eason fan. I think there's so many playoff-level teams that could use him in this situation. I think he is a guy that could play minutes in the playoffs as a rookie. If he were on a team good enough, just because you know he's going to give you maximum effort, if he works on the finishing this summer and becomes better at finishing around the rim, then I think that he could 
I mean, I, I know I don't know where you're gonna have him ranked tomorrow, but I think that five years from now, when we do a redraft in 2027, if Tari Eason becomes a better finisher, I think he will be a top 10 player in a redraft. All right, when we return, Leaf is going to break down his first team all rookie, and let's see who he has for the rookie of the year, even though it's a lock for most people. Leaf is connected to the Utah Jazz, so let's see if he agrees with Andy Larson, who did not have Paolo Bancaro as the rookie of the year. All right, before we get into that, let's talk about prize picks. And prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. And what I like about prize picks is all you have to do is pick two to six players. And if they would go score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It is just you versus the projections available. Prize picks offers projections on any sport that you want to watch which is including NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA, college football, men's and women's college basketball, cricket, esports, NASCAR, tennis, boxing. I mean, every sport. And entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. They are safe and fast withdrawals. It is currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the PricePix app or go to pricepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. So do not forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, last segment, and let's let's go by order in reverse order of how this player made your all-rookie team. So who is the fifth member of your first team all-rookie? Uh, Keegan Murray. I, I think he's a guy that contributed to winning basketball heavily. He may not blow you away with counting stats, but as we talked about at the onset of this show, he didn't play much in the playoffs, but the reason we talk about that as if it's a shock is because it is a shock in terms of minutes. Keegan Murray was a, a super, super impactful player for the Kings. 12.2 points, 4.6 rebounds, 1.2 assists. That's more in terms of any shot, 41% from three. And that's the biggest factor. It's more in the counting spats department than many of the guys we mentioned in the second team that are splitting hairs over. And his team won more games than all but five teams in the NBA. That's really super impactful. Defensively, I think he was pretty good, but he wasn't amazing. That's why they're playing Davion Mitchell. Anyway, long story short, it's hard to overlook a guy who's on the third seed in the West, who's up two over the defending champions, and he played as many minutes as he did per game, scoring 12 a game, and not put him on the number uh, number one squad. And the reason he's fifth, because I'm very high on who's fourth. I think that he lived up to the expectations. He played exactly how I thought he would play. The biggest surprise is how good the Kings are, but I thought he was going to be solid as a rookie. And I, I can't say I thought he's going to shoot 41% from three, but I would have guessed anywhere between 35 and 37%. And I thought he was going to be like, like I said, a very solid rookie that contributes. And um, the Kings made the right decision. They've made 
good decisions lately, which is something that they have been catching a lot of heat for, especially on social media. There were a lot of people that thought that they should not have drafted Keegan Murray at number four. They should have went for Jaden Ivey. All right, so who is number four on your list? The aforementioned Jaden Ivey. I personally believe they should have taken Jaden Ivey still. Uh, yeah. It's just because I, I saw Jaden Ivey as the third best player in this draft, and I still do. Uh, Jaden Ivey, I believe, I, I could be wrong, but I believe that the NBA decision-making brass that are that are going to select these teams are going to have him as the second team member and Benedict Matherin over Jaden Ivey um, is, is what I guess. But Jaden Ivey, if, if we were to compare those two players, Ivey and Matherin, Ivey uh, shot better from three, which is considered his biggest knock, and Matherin's one of his best strengths entering this draft was shooting. He shot 34% from three with on-ball responsibility. Matherin with great facilitation with when we talked about Nemhar, but of course Tyrese Halliburton shot 32% from three. Jaden Ivey uh, had to deal with a ton of pressure because he was playing without a guy in Cade Cunningham who's supposed to be the face of the franchise and is. So Ivey scores 16 a game, which was 0.1 less than Benedict Matherin, 16.3 versus 16.4. 3.9 rebounds, 5.2 assists, 42% from the field, 34% from three. Uh, I I think that's a stellar rookie year, and it's not getting enough attention. And and I really do think that if the Kings were to draft Ivy, he may not have the same effect in the short term as Keegan Murray. And I know that you can say that, you know, it worked out because they're the number three seed. They're up 2-0 in a playoff series right now, and he's a large factor as to why but I would still draft who I perceive to be the better player and will be a better player in the long term in Jaden Ivey, even if he is somewhat redundant to a star player in Fox. All right, if you're Detroit and you get the second pick, who are you taking? I think that's the only team that I'd take Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson for. And, and I like Brandon Miller, and, and Raphael can attest to this if you guys are listening to this for the first time. Um, that I, I've been high on Brandon Miller all year. I've had him three and four the entire before year. Before the season started. Give yourself yeah. a little bit more credit. You yeah. had him. Before the season started, I came in with Brandon Miller ranked four, and he's been ranked three or four the entire season. But uh, I think Scoot's that tremendous of a prospect. But if you have Ivy and Cade Cunningham, you might as well do something to strengthen where you're not as talented. And I think Ivy and Cade Cunningham are tremendous in their own regard. So I don't want to going to override that and stunt their development as well as Scoot Henderson's by drafting redundantly there. But I do believe Scoot Henderson's a better prospect than Brandon Miller. Okay. All right. Who is number three? This is what I'm trying to figure out. Who do you have at number three? I guess. Number three, I would go with Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. Oh. So I was going and to lean the other way, but all right. The, the rationale being, uh, and Walker Kessler's two for me. Uh, the rationale why I have Jalen Williams slightly behind Walker Kessler is that I watched all but one Jazz home game in person. I had COVID and I missed one game. Um, and you see Walker Kessler come into the game and change the entire defense for the Jazz. And offensively, their their execution was so much better with him on the court that you just see this flip. In, in the ability of the team that was so solely dependent on him that I just didn't feel was that much of an impact on a guy like Jalen Williams, who had an amazing season. Jalen Williams was better than anyone could have imagined, and it showed right away in the Salt Lake Summer League 
which I which I was also able to witness. Uh, Jalen Williams scored. He was on a team that was in the play and nearly made the playoffs and defends at an unbelievable level. But I think Walker Kessler's impact defensively is so enormous that he creates a, an advantage for himself just in the fact that I've watched every single one of his games practically um, in person, and I see the gravity with which he plays, and I see the impact both offensively and defensively with which he plays. Whereas Jalen Williams, I think there are players on his team that are able to have comparable impacts, and that's not a fault to him. I think the Thunder are a better team than, than were the Jazz once they made their trades. But I, I lean towards Kessler due to impact for his team. All right, off subject. Are there any rookies in the 2023 class that you have to rethink your stance on them based off of the success of Jalen Williams and Kessler Walker? Or is it Walker Kessler? Walker Kessler. Walker. I mean, you know, I, I think I'm going to just tape it on my computer so that way I get it right. Every time I'm getting ready to say it, I don't have confidence that I said it the right way. To answer your question, yes, I think Maxwell Lewis is a guy because he went to a small school, shouldered into a large burden, played point guard when I think he'll be playing a wing in the NBA, which is similar to what Jalen Williams did. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the guy that rings a bell. And you made this point early in the season, so I'll give you props here. Uh, Donovan Klingon, who is not coming out, would have been the answer for who I would have evaluated differently due to Walker Kessler. Should Ryan Kalkbrenner come out and leave Creighton? And oh. that would be pretty sad. I'd consider rethinking him as a prospect, but I think the fact that I saw him play in person, I've seen tons of Kalkbrenner play. I have a fairly good evaluation for him, but uh, but I, I would try to put him in, in my head, contextualize it to similarly to what I saw from Walker Kessler as a ceiling for Kalkbrenner. Um, he won't be as good as Kessler, I feel confident in saying that, but um, similar utilization for a different team. And I'm going to try to envision that as opposed to saying, oh, could he be exposed for not being good at switching? But no, they're, they're going to play to his strengths. And that's something that I kind of nitpicked with Kessler where I was wrong, um, where I thought that, you know, can he recover well enough? And, and the answer to that was yes. But I wondered if most of these teams are going to switch are they going to build a system around his strengths as opposed to, you know, build a str uh, the system around the strengths of their starting center and not change it for their backup. But he turned out to be too good for that and quickly became the starter. What are your thoughts about Lively in a Walker Kessler role? Lively to me is slightly different. I think he's more like Mark Williams, uh, for other Duke blue devil. Um, than he is Walker Kessler. But I think that's a fair point as, as a center that, that could have a similar day one impact um, as someone who can really make your defense a dominant force on the interior and, and change the shot chart of opponents. All right. Rookie of the year. No surprises here for me. It's my number one guy from last year entering the draft, and it's been the number one player all year for me as a rookie, and that's Paolo Bencaro, someone that my philosophy for drafting a rookie is who has the best chance of changing your franchise in the positive direction. And to me, that was never close. I thought it was Paolo Bancaro. And uh, I felt like, he, one, he was the best fit for the Magic, but he was also the best player available. And he showed that from day one. He, he had 
a dominant debut and he continued it. People nitpicked his efficiency and the fact that the Magic weren't playing winning basketball. But you just saw someone that's a star in the making, someone that right away can change a franchise. And right now, Magic fans have to be so optimistic that they have two lottery picks, Paolo Bancaro as their option one and Franz Wagner as their option two. And I think that you wouldn't have been able to convince Magic fans, hey, this number one pick uh, is going to be clearly our number one right away because they've had a, a kind of tumultuous drafting history. Like there's Jonathan Isaac showed flashes, but he's injured all the time. Markel Fultz, I know they didn't draft him, but they put a lot of stake in him being someone that they could build upon. Jalen Suggs hasn't turned out exactly as they panned. And then they had a success in Franz Wagner, but this guy, Paolo Bancaro, is more than success. That's a shining star of a pick. Like he is going to be a star and is very close to being a star already. See, I agree with everything you said, except they weren't playing winning basketball, which they were very competitive once their guard. Above 500 basketball. I agree with that. Yeah, because they got off to, what were they, like 5 and 21 or 5? And I know they got off to a terrible start when they didn't have any guards at the beginning of the season. But after that, they were competitive. Then maybe like the last week or so, they dropped some games. But I think they're a playoff team next year. I really expect I, I a big jump, that. and especially if Fultz is healthy, Bancaro makes another jump, Wagner makes a jump. I don't know what they're going to do with the two lottery picks. I don't know if they're going to consolidate the roster. I have no idea, and especially, I don't know. Like I did my mock, and I didn't do it based off of off of uh, team needs. I ended up with Case and Wallace and Nick Smith Jr. going to Orlando at like six and twelve, which they clearly don't need both of those guys. I could see them try to go for like Osar Thompson or Anthony Black, maybe Case and Wallace, and then with twelve, should he be there, a guy like Hendricks would 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 kind of fit the ilk of a player that I think that where does he would play? Fi- where where does he play? <laughs> I just I just think that the the NBA is prioritizing players that play like him. And I think that when you're good, there's you're going to play. I, I understand that he's not going to fit in immediately, but yeah. I, I think you could play him as a sixth man and play so, significant contribution uh, as a rookie right away on a team that I think will be in that play-in type of mold. I don't think they're quite a playoff top six team in the East, but I think they'll be seven through 10. I know people think I'm crazy, and I mentioned it on a, another podcast. If I'm the Blazers, I'm calling Orlando. If if Dame wants out, I'm saying, hey, give us Isaac to make some money match and give us picks six and twelve. And now and, and I guess you could throw in Suggs. And now Portland has or, or now Orlando has Damian Lillard with Wagner, Van Caro, Wendell Carter. They'd be pretty good. They'd be pretty good in my opinion. Probably won't happen. I mean it's a better offer than anything that Miami can offer. Well, that wraps up this episode. Big thank you for making the Locked On NBA Big World podcast your first listen of the day. Everyday listeners, tomorrow on the show, me and Leaf will do a redraft of the 2022 NBA draft. So stay tuned. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow, Leaf Tulane, and we are out.